You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man. This is episode 27. I cannot believe that it's already October. And as we all know that October is the Gay Florida Man's favorite month. It's the scariest month of the year. What scares you? What is it that gives you chills? That terrifies you? What's your phobia? What's your fear? Now, for a lot of people, there is certain music that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Does this music scare you at all? Well, if it does, then you probably should turn off this episode right now. Because I'm going to bring you the boogeyman himself. The one, the only, Brad Lurie from Halloween Resurrection. Are you speaking to me? I'm talking to you. Brad Lurie. <laughs> yes, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. This is Mark. This is Mark. Yes, sir. Mark the Wolf. Uh, the that's they call him Mark the Wolf. <laughs> that's it. Well, the inmates, oh. the, the inmates do, anyways. Oh my God, Magnum. <laughs> D block. You got a reputation at D block, Mark. Uh, right, right. I don't know if you know this, but I worked 20 years at the state prison in Utah. I think maybe you mentioned that in our initial emails. Is that right? You got some stories. Have you written a book yet? That's one of my questions for you, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> you can ask me anything you want today. Half decent chance I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm halfway there. Brad Lurie, and he was Michael Myers in Halloween Resurrection, but there's a lot more to the story than just Halloween Resurrection. This is a man that has been doing stunts forever, and he's got Hollywood credits like you wouldn't believe. But we're going to first start out and talk to Brad about his background and how he got into this business. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. Well, thanks so much for having me, Mark. Hello, Florida. Go Dolphins. <laughs> hey, well, you know, and we just survived a little yes. bit of, uh, of bad weather, and we just survived uh, Hurricane Ian. And, yes, uh, thank and God. Sad, sad news for the, the West Coast of Florida. They're learning that it's a very dangerous storm for those people. God bless them. Hopefully they can rebuild and get back on track. It sucks. Yeah, Hurricanes are getting crazy. So yeah. talking about you, you've got an amazing resume. I was looking at IMDb and you've got so many different projects that you've worked on in a very successful career. But going back to the beginning, when you first started getting interested in stuff, I had heard on another interview that you had done that you kind of fell in love with Bruce Lee and martial arts when you were 13 years old. Is that true? 
Yes. Well, uh, Mark DeGuillian, before that, as a little boy, I just, for whatever reason, even as a child, just never got along with my father. So I fell in love with movies because it was a two-hour reprieve from his neglect, let's call it. I saw Fists of Fury when I was 13 years old, Bruce Lee's first film, but I did not realize at that time that this was the same guy as a six-year-old uh, when uh, the Green Hornet and this Cato character came uh-huh. along, Mark, I forgot all about Batman and Robin. And I love this little Chinese uh, ass kicker. You know, I wanted the Black Beauty as model car as a Christmas present when I was six years old, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, we had just moved from um, one town to another, as was my father's MO. These kids that I met in the neighborhood were talking about this movie they'd seen. So I went and saw this film, Fist of Fury, and fell in love with Bruce Lee. Fell in love with the martial arts. I wanted to be that guy. And I joined the local karate school where a 17-year-old mustached grade 12 named Tony Morelli, who was the green belt. He was the he ran most of the classes. I trained with him off and on and off for the next few years through junior high. And then I fell in love with my son's mother, and she was more into rugby. But he went on to become a world champion. He was the, in April 19th, 1980, he won the WKA World kickboxing champion wow. cruiserweight kickboxing championship and because he was a world champion we don't have a lot of them up here in the pacific northwest but the the film industry was first starting to come to vancouver mark they had discovered how cheap it was to shoot film in vancouver and because we're only two and a half hours away from la you can be on set till four in the afternoon on friday and be home in time for dinner as a producer you see so the he started doing stand-in work and uh, this sort of thing did some commercials but the stunt guys thought, what a feather in our cap if we had a world champion in our group. The group Stunts Canada, which was newly formed at that time, just basically made him a member. They didn't even go through the voting process. <laughs> so he, uh, and, and me being his protege, he just kind of dragged me along. Now, I so looked up to Tony and these, uh, this stunt group, Mark, that I didn't, it didn't really actually enter my diffident head as a young man that I could ever be on the same level with these guys. It was actually a guy named Ken Kersinger, who you may recognize as mm-hmm. Jason, Jason mm-hmm. versus Freddie. He's the guy that took me aside one day and said, Brad, if you go get a pager and a headshot and a resume, I'll take you around and introduce you to everybody because I think there's a spot here for you. And Mark, I got that done as fast as evenly possible. And the rest is history. I started hanging out with him and another guy named Charles Andre, who was a Robert De Niro stunt double on this boy's life. And, and uh, just took off from there. And I just, I just made sure that every time I worked for somebody new, I gave it that extra yard, you know? You only get one shot with these guys. Your first day on set sure. with a new coordinator, it's like an audition, Mark. So you want to make sure you do a good job. You want to make sure you pay attention and listen. No matter how hurt you are, you're never hurt. <laughs> walk it off. Walk it off. Walk it off. <laughs> hurt, walk it off. So, you know, you got into this because of stunt work, but had you ever considered acting prior to Fists of Fury? Well, Mark, that's the thing. You loved movies and the escape from like the whole thing with your father. But had you ever like said to yourself, like, I would like to be on the big screen as a child? Absolutely, Mark. Actually, I kind of skipped over that. I tend to be a little bit long-winded, Mark. And I know you you said beak off away and you can edit this later. I think that was you. Anyway, um, (laughs) Mark, um, Mark, uh, sorry, I got like three or four podcasts lined up and I can't keep track of who's who. You're Um, okay. You're okay. Okay. (laughs) I love Um, it. Anyway, uh, yeah, I always, that was another reason why I didn't pursue stunts right away when Tony was first hiring me is because I didn't imagine being on the same level as him. But I also, he knew I wanted to be an actor and that I was kind of 
more lenient that way. And I'll tell you what, the stunt people, I even had the founder of Stunts Canada ask me, Brad, are you using stunts to springboard your acting career? Because mm -hmm. we're mm -hmm. not interested in any part-timers. I says, no. And by that time, I'd given up on being acting because I just didn't have the confidence, Mark, right, for whatever right. reason. I tried my hand at, at acting, but I just didn't have the nerves for it. Stunting, because of my athleticism and my martial arts talent at the time, stunting to me was um, basically you go to set, you go to work, you know, Mark, and you, for the entire day you play Cowboys and Indians. You get paid a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money. And they say on action, you fall down on the X, so you utilize gravity. I don't want to say it was easy for what area of stunts that I did. I found it most of the time. It was it was just fun. That's awesome. And, you got to love and, your work. You well, got to love yeah, your job. I, I love it. Um, we're losing more work to computer technology, of course, yeah. because they can CGI so much more stuff now. And sets are so much safer especially what after what happened on uh, deadpool 2 here in vancouver you know and and the thing the sad thing is mark when people do get hurt or even killed on set in the stunt world it all gets swept under the carpet news wise because it's just some people get hurt some people die and uh. um so that's kind of a drag but it's the life we chose and it's a risk you take you know and um i beat myself up pretty good i've actually been on disability for almost 13 years because of all the beatings i took and two motorcycle accidents off of set like away from work I, I'm still trying to do what they call stunt acting because um, it's cheaper for production to hire a stunt guy. You can say the two, you know, stop or I'll shoot and then get shot and fall down the stairs as opposed to hiring an actor and then having to double him. Sure. It makes sense. Yes. Yeah, that's right. When you started doing martial arts as a kid, what martial arts did you train in? The only school in Langley, BC, which is a little, what was a little, was it wasn't even a one horse town. It was, it was a one tumbleweed <laughs> town when I okay. moved there in 73. The only school in June of 1974 was Earl Hughes Eastern School of Self-Defense. Okay. Earl Hughes was a uh, three-time uh, lightweight or middleweight Canadian champion. But this is back in the, basically, it was semi-contact at best. Earl had been at a big international tournament in Toronto, and he met this little Chinese guy that he talked to for like two minutes. But in that two minutes, this guy completely changed Earl's whole philosophy and mindset wow. around the martial arts and what works and what doesn't work. And of course, that guy was Bruce Lee. So That's amazing. Um, by the time I started training there, I don't know how old the school was. They had pretty much abandoned katas and the horse stats and these ridiculous things that wouldn't work in a real fight because Earl was a street kid and he knew what worked and didn't work. And so we were basically boxing. We were using our boxing punch strikes for our, our hands and still throwing the kicks that would work in a real fight. Earl was all about, you know, he was almost without using the words, adopting Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do mentality philosophy mm -hmm. around fighting. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Your first stunt credit, according to IMDb, was 1985, The Journey of Natty Gan. Yes. Is that accurate? Was that your first? I thought it was 1984, but maybe it was 1985. That makes sense. Uh, but yeah, that was my very first stunt credit. <laughs> okay. And I have not seen that movie. What was that experience like? Like you break into the industry, Ken gets you through the door. He gives you the contacts. He gives you the, the knowledge. Was that your first test? This was before your... Kenny took me aside because I'll okay. tell you, Mark. Uh, 1984, uh, 1983, I worked as an extra on Tom Selleck's movie, The Runaway. Really? 1985, my first stunt contract was on Journey of Nadigan, but it wasn't, and that was 85, but it wasn't until 91 that Ken took me aside. So I, like, Tony would hire me, and I understand today that he just assumed I understood that if I wanted to do this, I could pursue it, but I didn't. But anyway, he calls me and says, look, I got this stunt for you. 
uh, you're going to be working with David J. Cox and John Wardlow. And I blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, Tony. He goes, he says, Brad, the last thing he said to me, Bradley? I said, yeah, Tony. Don't embarrass me. <laughs> so I'm nervous as heck. I go there and they dress me up as, um, you know, this was a, a period piece. It was during the Depression. This guy that was John Wardlow, who was a big coordinator at the time, big guy with Studs Canada. He said, okay, we're, um, they're throwing a family out of one of the housing developments, the cops, because they couldn't pay their rent anymore. And a bunch of people were protesting across the street. And at one point, the protesting group run across the street and attack these cops. And so what he says is, I'm going to run and go up towards David, who's dressed as a cop. He's going to hit me with the baton, and I'm going to go down. As he winds up to hit you, you tackle him before he gets the swing off. I didn't even tackle him to the ground. <laughs> and he marked. It was the simplest. And I kept going, where do I catch on fire, fall down the stairs? Like, where's this? I didn't understand. That stunt, and you know, you, you say stunt where you picture getting shot out of a cannon if you don't know the industry. But I didn't realize it also encompasses any kind of physical action where anybody could possibly break a fingernail. That's considered a stunt. I, I, you know, I didn't know that for a long time, and it was somebody that uh, that was a stunt man that explained that to me. Is you can never put the actors, the leads, yes. and stuff. And yes. so you have a stunt double that comes in that does anything that could be risky at all, right? You have an actor that has to fall over in a chair or something that simple. You have to be able to read people because there's a lot of actors that think they're stunt people or that they're athletic enough or macho enough. You know, the thing is about stunt smart is it's the little gags where you get hurt because the focus isn't there. Sure. And, you know, you got Daniel Baldwin saying, oh, uh, he's got to fall down on the what I don't know what the actual fall was, but he just had to take a spill into the floor. Coordinator said, do you want me to use a double? He said, no. Do you want me to get a pad? He says, no. No. I don't know if he was. Anyway, he takes this tumble and cranks his neck. I didn't even get to. Mark Daniel was a wine connoisseur, so he liked his wine morning, noon, and night. And he took all his painkillers. Anyway, he was completely trashed trying to work. Oh, God. Freak. So I had to shoot a scene with Dick Mancuso and another scene with Sean Young that he shot over my shoulder behind his ear. But there's just an example of a guy, you know, thinking, you know, that he, he is a stuntman. And you know what? Some actors, if you see that they are obviously physical, physically capable of doing the gag, but you always want to have the stunt guy there for insurance anyway. Of course. Yes. Because sometimes well, the stunt has to be shot half a dozen times, and the actor goes, well, I did it twice, I'm not doing it anymore. Then you have to go to second unit and use your stunt guys, right? So anyway. As some actors, I, I've heard about their reputations, and I know um, one of the Baldwins, the one whose daughter is, uh, I guess, married to Justin Bieber, he was in Salt Lake City filming a movie, and it was at the Lakota restaurant. And I remember it was an early morning shoot, and I was just working as an extra. He just went off because the front door of the restaurant was open, and they had all the stage lights and stuff, and they only had a few hours to shoot because the restaurant was going to open at 11. Because of the noise outside, and he couldn't rehearse his lines, he started screaming at the AD, Toby. And I'll never forget. That sounds like Daniel. But you know what? I worked with Steven, too, and he's just as nice. Steven. It was Steven. Very temperamental. Nice guy if you just, like, randomly talk to him, but... When he's, you know, in the moment, uh, he a little feisty, a little in feisty. the moment. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm trying to be as politically uh, sure. correct as possible, Brad. I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, I, I did 20 years in, in Utah and I know Canada stole a lot of the work because of the financial breaks and stuff. I would have loved to live up there in Vancouver just because the film industry has exploded. 
And I know Canada has just been much more incentive than Utah. And uh, well, you know, different states have different tax credits. You know, I know that uh, New Mexico and the Carolinas, I believe, mm-hmm. are happening. I don't understand the business. So I, I don't understand how the can opener works. Tell you the truth, Mark, I do know that um, <laughs> to build a set, if you have to build, you got to get the lumber and the construction. This and that. Now, this is a quote going back a couple of years, and things changed over COVID, of course. But I heard it was like seventy percent cheaper to build a set in Canada, in Vancouver, than it is in California. I believe that. You know, Hollywood just priced itself out, closing off streets in LA is a nightmare. So they come to Vancouver where the dollar's uh, 25%, 30% cheaper. And you just, you base the story in Seattle. You use some stock footage of Seattle or go down there and shoot some second unit. And uh, next thing you know, what you got a movie. When I was working steady some years ago, Mark, I'm going back now almost 20 years ago, but like when there was 40 productions in town, that meant the town was full. Well, last year they had 72 productions. Oh my God. And another thing, Mark, is back in the day, all the studios in Vancouver were old deserted warehouses, you know, that they Mm -hmm. were, it's kind of like a bivouac industry. And I said many times, these producers could pull up stakes and if we piss them off our union or whatnot, uh, they could be gone in 48 hours. But now, Mark, they're actually digging in the ground and building studios here. Oh, that's There's awesome. There's a studio going up about five minutes from where I grew up. That's going to be the biggest soundstage in North America when it's done. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but I believe it because you look at the credits and there's so many movies and television shows, series, everything filmed up there in Vancouver. Yeah. And I've, I was up there in 2002. Amazing place. Amazing place. I love that. You story. were up here. Or were you? What were you doing, Mark? I had gotten into a relationship. And of course, I couldn't be a normal relationship. It had to be international. The Canadian? I, could, I, I, <laughs> I know. Uh, take coffee. Yeah. So it was also the first time that I'd been like walking down the street and like marijuana. It was hitting me in the face. <laughs> right. It was a very relaxed city. But it was just, I mean, the people up there are so, or they were so amazing. And I, really? I loved Vancouver. Yeah, it was a great experience. I'd, I'd like well, to go know, back. You know, Mark, Vancouver, Canada has been year after year always ranked in the top three most beautiful cities in the world, along with Sydney, Australia, and this and Stockholm and whatnot. But Vancouver's always in the top three. I, but I always joke to my American friends that, yeah, most beautiful city in the world. Five weeks a year <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> I remember it was pretty, uh, I mean, it's just like Seattle and the whole Northwest gets chilly and cold. We, and rainy. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's cold and it's wet. Now, my father's side of the family comes from Prince Edward Island. Oh, good Lord. I think that that's probably why I love Canada is just because my dad's side of the family comes sure. from. Sure. Sure. You're like Dwayne Johnson. His, yeah. father was from, uh, his father was from New Brunswick. Rocky Johnson was a wrestler from New Brunswick. Do you follow a lot of wrestling? Because I know we're going to get to it. I don't want to jump ahead because I know you did the one television series before you had done the production of Halloween Resurrection. Yes, Los but, Luchadors. But yeah, no, I, um, I I was never a huge wrestling fan because okay. you know I always knew that it was staged. But I'll tell you what, when I was 22, our karate company went under and my dad went bankrupt. And so uh, we lost our family home and blah, blah, blah. So I had to go out in the world. I had to go out at 22, go out and make a fend for myself. So I, 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 what the fuck am I good? I got no education. I got no trade skills. Well, my best friend said, why don't you go be a bouncer with your fighting skills? Uh-huh. So I ended up working with these wrestlers and boy, did I get a lot of respect for those guys. I'll tell you what. And then working with wrestlers in the film industry, the nicest guys in the world well, to a man, just the sweetest people. And I'm thinking, why are these guys so nice? And then I thought, oh, when you take a male human being and you take 
any and all insecurity and ego out of them because they know they can kill you with their eyelash. And all they're left <laughs> is with a nice human being. That's all you're left with. I have met so many wrestlers that I just, all the heels in professional wrestling that yes. I was fascinated with when I was a kid. I've met a lot of them. Um, you know, yep. King Kong Bundy and um, George the Animal Steel. And there's, there's so many. Uh, Nikolai Volkov, Iron Sheik. Like you just said, I cannot agree with you more. They're some of the most amazing, humble people. And they're just, they're such great guys. The Honky Tonk Man, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Jimmy Snuka. I've met so many of them. The one that I really wanted to meet, oh, who yeah. died in his sleep three months before I had booked a flight to go to a horror convention and he was going to be there setting autographs was Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, and I never got to meet him. And I saw a bunch of videos after he passed away and he's like against bullying and he is a family man. Mark, and I was Mark. like, God damn it. <laughs> Mark, I can't remember the names, of the towns and this and that, because I've been so blessed with this Michael Myers thing. <laughs> but I was in Germany drinking with Ken and these German guys and this fucking dude comes up and I recognize him. <laughs> I was like, Hi, I'm Roddy McDowell. And I go, fucking Roddy Rowdy Piper. And I didn't know he was Canadian at the time. And, right. uh, but just the sweetest guy. Yes. He's from Saskatchewan of all <laughs> Yes. Yes. He's just such a, a great guy. Oh. And I, I missed my opportunity. Well, if he passed bad, away, dude. it sucks. I'll, I'll never forget when TMZ broke the news. I was at the Walmart and I was preparing to go to Vegas for the weekend. And I'm like, are you kidding? Somewhere uh, on my, my original Facebook page, which I forget how to access now because I can't remember the goddamn password. But Mark, I a couple I'm pretty of those. sure there's a I, Yeah, no kidding. Well, I keep getting hacked, but I'm pretty sure I've got a picture somewhere of me and uh, Kenny and Roddy and those two Irish kids was in Dusseldorf, Germany. But wow. uh, yeah, he was wearing his hot rod t-shirt and uh, I didn't know anything about his acting career. He's actually a half decent actor. And, oh um, yeah. With the convention tour I've met, well, I worked with Dave Batista and uh, Stone Cold Austin, uh, Steve Austin and um, on a convention years ago, I was in, again, I was in Germany and I met Jake the Snake and fucking... Uh, I met Simon Jake Dallas the Snake. Page, the two nicest guys. I met uh, Jake the Snake in Vegas uh, at a convention. Did you? And his daughter was his handler, you know, collecting the money and stuff. And he was just so nice. He was, And I know that documentary the, that he was in, Beyond the Mat, when he was struggling yeah. with addiction, he yeah. said, we, we don't talk about that movie. So he does not like uh -huh. that. Uh, no. So I, I learned at that moment. But he was still really nice. We talked for several minutes. Just a great guy. Just a wonderful guy. Mark, do you recognize the name Gene Kaniski? I do not. Okay, because I was at a show in Chicago about uh, two months ago, and I met these two uh, wrestler guys that made a movie called, oh, shoot, some kind of a wrestling zombie movie, but Bass Rutten and and, uh, and Randy Couture and D.B. Uh, Sweeney were in it, and uh, one other personality, I can't remember. Anyway, great guys. They knew Gene Kaniski. He was a Canadian champion or world champion he's the one guy i mean he lived in the states most of his life after his career took off but anyway i always ask people that are wrestling fans because um i was i was very surprised that they'd heard of him oh yeah of course we know who gene kaniski is anyway because i worked with his son i have a friend of mine and he we had done one of the episodes of this podcast and we talked about professional wrestling 
this guy knows every person involved in professional <laughs> wrestling. He knows every match, what state, different divisions, how it all came together, how Vince McMahon changed the face of wrestling. This guy is like an encyclopedia set. Is that right? Oh, and he's going to hear about this, and he's going to say, oh, of course I know him. Yes, and he's yes. going to look, like, look at me like, how could you not, Mark? I'm not into it that deep. I loved it right. in the 80s. You know, when I was a kid, I just loved sure. the, the drama and the, the yeah, battles. And, and the theater, the theater. Absolutely. Awesome. It's yeah, great. Yeah, great actors, great, great athletes, great actors, and tough as nails. Oh, I worked with Terry Hogan, too. Oh, okay. The Hogan. Terry, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, I've lost track of all the wrestlers I worked with, but sweethearts too bad. As long as your career has been, I'm sure you've met so many people we could talk for days. Oh, yeah. One of the people that you have brought up is Ken Kersinger. And for people who might not know that name, he's a very, very well-known stuntman. And he also played Jason Voorhees in Jason vs. Freddy. He was the cook behind the counter in Jason Takes Manhattan. Jason takes Manhattan. I didn't realize he worked as a cook, but he doubled Kane Hodder in that movie. Oh, did he? I did not yes, know he that. Was a, he was the stunt double for Kane Hodder in I Jason did. Takes Manhattan. Right, right, right. He confronts Jason when Jason comes into the diner. Mark, and... I did not know that. I yeah. Kenny's never told me that because, you know, <laughs> between you and I and everyone that's listening. What's Kane that? Hodder was not very happy when Kenny got the job on Jason versus Freddy. I've heard that story. He I've did, heard that and story. And he did not receive Kenny with open arms. I think that for years, because he had played the part four different times. As yes, Jason, yes. And he yes. just assumed that he was going to get that. And there yes. was talk about that for a long time. Then the director wanted somebody taller. Is that what the issue was? Well, Mark, um, you know what? Well, the thing is, Jason and uh, Freddie came to Canada. Mm -hmm. And the producer, whose name I cannot remember, had seen me. In an interview on set of Halloween, the interviewer asked me, why is Michael Myers the way he was? And I can't even remember what I said, but I know that I did put a lot of thought into it to help me with my you know, my subconscious motivation. But um, mm -hmm. he was very impressed with how much thought I'd put into it. So he called me in. He really liked me for the part. But when I met Ronnie Yu, he was you know, very politely and professionally said, you know, great, Brad, but you're, you're not tall enough. Okay. And then they looked at a thousand guys. And Ken had already interviewed with them as to be the stunt coordinator. And they came back around. To, and I remember when they said, you know, Brad, after that interview, and when they said, you're not going to be the guy, I was just praying that Kenny would get it. And sure enough, he came around and Kenny got it. And I was so happy for him. And I mean, he, he his show was, you know, much bigger of box office. And, uh, you know, it was a crossover movie. So it got a lot more sure. press. We get to travel together quite often. And it's just so much fun because... He's like my bigger brother that, and he's the guy, that, you know, other than Tony, he's the guy that got me in the industry. And whenever I'm with Kenny, let's just say, Mark, he doesn't pay for anything. <laughs> he tries. I, I don't, if it wasn't for Ken Kersinger and Tony Morelli, I don't even want to think about where I'd, <laughs> where right, I'd be today, right. Mark. You'd be, you know? you'd be working in a prison like your friend Mark in Utah. I'd be biting the pillow in D-block. Can I say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I've, I have a few of those stories, too. Well, I'll bet but you do. People always ask me, like, is it true about sexual assault in prison? Is it really as bad as they say? I said, you know, I don't know. I just know that it's gone way down since I've retired. <laughs> and the last time I used that joke, I was oh, talking. My goodness. I, I was talking to a guy that was in prison that it came on the podcast. Just an amazing guy. He has really turned his life around, but I wanted to interview somebody that had been on the other side of the bars that had, you know, actually yeah. been housed there. 
he's been on two episodes now. The second one I haven't edited yet, but he's just such an amazing guy. His name's Chris, and he talks about his experience in both the state level and the federal prison. He wants to like basically help people that, you know, might be going down that road. If he can kind of make anybody change their path or their direction yeah, with criminal behavior. Yeah, God a great him. guy. Jesus. He's a great wow. guy. So Ken Kersinger, how did you guys initially meet? You met years before. <laughs> because that's one okay. thing is listening to different interviews and everything I was trying to find is like, what's the initial meeting between you and Ken? Well, the very first time I met Kenny Mark, it had to have been on the movie, the Tom Selleck, Gene Simmons film, uh, Runaway. Okay. Because I remember being in the extras tent with Ken Kersinger <laughs> and a guy named Ian Tracy, who's gone on to be an award-winning Canadian actor. And today is talking about quitting the business because unless you're a um, biafran hermaphrodite, you can't get a job today. Being white, male, and heterosexual, you can't get a job these days. It's just unbelievable. And I, I say that with all respect to political correctness and blah, blah, blah. But it's just, I feel the pendulum swung a little too far, you know. I've got a buddy lives across the hall from me, has the most amazing resume in both the States and Canada. And he's done like 50 auditions this year and hasn't gotten one part. Wow. Anyway, anyway, that's where Ken and I met was on, I'm going to tell you, was on, on Runaway. We were just driving cars in the background at night. You never did see it, you know. And for me back then, Mark, to be in the car that you got to see on the big screen would have been, I was just over the moon. Tony Morelli snuck me and my buddy Jeff <laughs> from high school into the rap party. And it was an open bar, open food. And Gene oh. Simmons was up there playing with the band. But the female in that movie, if you recall, if you, if you know which movie I'm talking about. I own it. Absolutely. Do you? Oh, yeah. I, uh, Gene well, Simmons is the most evil bad guy. Yes. He was terrific. I love that movie. It's a little campy, but I love it. And I had this super huge crush on Cynthia Rhodes because I'd see her. <laughs> I, I liked her even more than uh, what's her name? Uh, the lead from uh, Flashdance. She was the girl that did that phenomenal dance, the backcatcher's mask and all that. And so when I walked into the rap party, Tony's whispering in her ear. And when I walk up to them, she threw her arms around me and gave me a kiss on the cheek. <gasps> and I was, it was like the first time in my life, Mark, I was literally speechless. I just didn't know what to say. Because she was just so beautiful and so talented. Oh, my I mean, God, yeah. She could yes. dance and act. But she married Richard Marks and became a housewife, and we never heard from her again. As far as stunt work, I got to ask you about a story. Because you had told a story in another podcast about a show, Mantis. And yeah. as we talk about the level of danger in doing stunts. Yeah. And when a stunt coordinator comes to you and says, hey, now look, if this stunt doesn't go as planned, you might get hurt, but at least it's not going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not, yeah. that's not. He also asked me, do you have any allergies we should know about? And I've never had a coordinator <laughs> before or since ask me that, but, but it was just, it was a hairy deal. Boots that don't fit. <laughs> well, it was, well, you know what it was, Mark, is Ken chickened out. The thing was, we were on the third floor, but the floor below had a balcony that jetted out from the building. It was all concrete, big concrete railing and all this big patio. So it wasn't so much the jumping from the third floor, which is nothing. If you know The height is not the issue. It's the fact that the floor below, I had to clear it. It was a, a mm. good, I'm going to tell you, it was at least 14 feet. I don't remember if we ever measured it. And on the rehearsal, there was no glass. It was a beautiful sunny day. You still had to run and jump through that windowsill, only looking at blue sky. You actually had to launch yourself through the window and commit. 
before you saw the bag. But mm. it was a long jump more than it was a high jump. And then on the day we went to shoot it, I'm in the chair for like 10, 12 hours because the guy's silver and he's bald and he's this and he's that. <laughs> then we get up there to the room and now my ramp is covered with lighting flags. It's nighttime. So all I can see is oh this big black God. window. And the thing about these windows, Mark, even though they're uh, safety tempered and they had knockers, what they call knockers in all four corners, which is electrical. It's like a pneumatic punch that breaks the window for you. Okay. And then two guys on the buttons. Here's an example. Another guy we, we, we was in our group. He had to jump through a window one day. The guy, it's just a little window. And the guys blew the window late. So when he hit the window, it stopped him dead. And he fell into the sill and sliced his knee all this shit. Mm. And um, a window that big, it's still heavy glass. And it does slow you down. And so I got the window slowing me down. I got the fact that now I have to run along the edge of the runway as opposed to the middle of it for the first two thirds of it because of these lighting flags. Plus, I got this gun rack on my back and a cape, I think, or gun rack at least. And then the very last topper was they bring up these motorcycle boots that they had fitted Ken for, which were <laughs> concrete stiff because they were brand new. They came up to my knees and they zipped up uh. on the inside. And they were two sizes too fucking small. And now the director's on the horn. Okay, we got to go. It's been 13 hours. I haven't got a shot yet. Oh, my God. And um, so they call action. And I just said to the boys on the knockers, I said, I'll see you downstairs. And I ran my <laughs> top and jumped through that fucking window. It was one of those moments where you had to take a breath and just believe in yourself and the technique and the setup and the rehearsal. Okay, Brad, you know, it's going to be a little tougher, but you can do it. And um, where I was clearing the railing, at the end of the balcony, uh, the end of the deck, on the rehearsal, I was clearing it by 10 or 12 feet. I only cleared it by three or four feet on the day because of the, because of the situation. But the director, Kim Manners, who's uh, gone now, God bless him, he had five cameras on me. And after we were done, he says, you know, Brad, that was the most exciting stunt I've ever had the privilege of shooting. And, you know, a lot of guys, you think it's just blowing smoke up your butt. If Kim Matters says that, you can take it to the bank. And sure enough, when they, when he cut the episode, they edit it. You rarely see this. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's mm -hmm. like breaking the fourth wall almost. But anyway, the guy jumps, the guy, you see this guy, the actor, he runs and jumps out the window. And then he jumps out the window and he jumps out the window and he jumps out the window. Kim used four of the five camera shots and, and just replayed them over. And then he lands and then he continues with the scene. He broke with the stream of this, this, this so to speak, but uh, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. so he clearly was really happy with the guest. Yeah, now, it sounds like he was really impressed with it from every angle. Well, like I said, if Kim Manners says something to you, because he was the most straight shoot guy. And I remember in watching Breaking Bad, it was second season at the end of one of the episodes. It said, in loving memory of our friend Kim Manners. And I burst into tears because oh. he was such a great guy. I forget he was from down south and just a sweetheart. And, uh, I loved Kim. He, we all wow. loved him. Yeah. Wow. You have said numerous times that horror has never been your thing. When you were 19, you dated a pair of tits that love scary <laughs> movies. So you had to watch them. How perfect. Mark, this girl, this girl. How perfect were those tits, Brad, that you buddy, actually were going to watch? Girl, this, this girl was so gorgeous. And I was a self-conscious, acne-laden <laughs> fucking teenager. And this poor girl, when I, if I told you what she had to go through to finally make me understand that she was attracted to me, you wouldn't believe that I was that stupid. But anyway, uh, she loved horror films. And we went and saw 
the first Friday the 13th, which was so graphic and Phantasm and The Exorcist, all these movies. And I remember when we broke up, I was so crestfallen, but I was just like, thank God I never have to watch another horror film. And then a week later, <laughs> everybody and their dog was talking about this movie Halloween. That's how you saw it? Uh, no, I told everyone to F off. And, you, oh, uh, you wouldn't I don't care, it. but I knew the story forwards and backwards about how he gets shot and he's not there. Because that's just beer burping. My cousin Diana, <laughs> whose opinion I very much respected, she told me how much she enjoyed it. So I ended up renting the film and I'm like, I don't know, halfway through this film, Mark, and I just said to myself, man, this is a great movie for any genre because it's not overly bloody gory and violent like no the, it, it really like wasn't the, it like the was. other film but i'm just on the edge of my seat and biting my nails this guy's so gosh darn creepy when i got this call out of the blue if, if i can tell you the story sure i'm driving in my car and i just finished lost lucifer as the wrestling film the wrestling tv show you, you referred to mm -hmm. yeah this woman says oh brad i'm tracy along the production manager at halloween she says how tall are you i said i'm six two and a half oh perfect can you come in to meet the executives tomorrow and as a professional courtesy Although I had no intention to take zero. I just got an awful lost luchadors, which for the, for the last five episodes, Mark, I was not only the stunt double, but I was also the stunt coordinator. So I was making really thick, thick I, I was going to say their paycheck. Yeah. I'm working, you know, Monday to Friday, getting double pay. They were coming back for another, another season. So I went in as a professional courtesy. Well, they had interviewed with one of the ADs from Lost Luchadors, a guy named Brian Knight. And they said, well, we don't know who's going to be our stunt coordinator match to the American, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's stunt double, Donna Keegan. And we also don't know who's going to wear the mask as Michael Myers. And he said, well, you know who you should talk to is Brad Lurie. So she calls me up out of the blue. I go in there. I do the walk a few times. And the, the director, Rick, turns to the producer. Yeah, he'll be fine. That's so the producer, crazy. Paul Freeman says to me, well, Brad, you're the first guy we've looked at. And uh, we, you're not hired yet. we got to consider other people. But if we do go with you, we're going to have to fly you down to L.A. to cast your head so we can build the mask around the shape mm -hmm. of your head. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. When Tracy called me, I could have swore she said they were looking for a stunt double for Mike Myers, and I'd forgotten the character's name. I thought they were talking about Austin Powers. That's not <laughs> so. So, she, so they said, "I said I got to go to well all the way to L.A. just to double some hummy actor." And he said, "No, no, no, you're not going to double the guy. You're going to be the guy." Oh my! And God. that's when the actor and me, the fan of the first Halloween, I went, "Oh, I have to do this." And Mark, yes. so I, I want to know more about that call, Brad. Traditionally, you would get a call from your agent saying, hey, I got a part for you to go read for. At least when, when I used to do acting, they would call me and say, here are your sides. You go in. But for this whole process with you and your knowledge with stunts and your history with stunts, it happened so differently for you for this part. Well, Mark, That's amazing. Here's the, here's the thing. Stunt people don't have agents for stunt work, first of all. Mm -hmm. you, you get hired through your coordinator connections. Okay. And Production has traditionally now for years used stunt guys with the non-speaking mask parts because we work cheaper than actors and uh, we're not as prima donna-ish. There's no dialogue. You never see my face. So they hire stunt guys. <laughs> so they never did look at another person. They sent me down to L.A. They hired me on the spot and uh, the rest is history. I um, I went down to L.A. and they cast my head even though they, they have just as... It's funny because these guys still thought you had to go to California to to get things done because we actually have the people here that anyway well, um, the, the mask that you wore the the william shatner mask as they yes. refer to it yeah your mask is so much more evil looking and i don't know is who it? and that's that's pretty well known as far as fans of the film well you see it's when very you put a dark Canadian, 
You see, when you put a Canadian in a Canadian's mask, it just gets more evil. You know is that what it is? Because they're the yeah. friendliest people that I know. Well, I, you know, that's, I don't know if I'm believing you on that one. That mask, you know, and I was just talking to somebody that came here. You know, I collect movie props and wardrobe from horror movies. Oh, yeah. My whole house is filled with it. And I'll have to send you some pictures. Mark, really? Oh, You're yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm it. one of those weirdos. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things about me. I've got a bar in the addition on my house, and it's painted like Freddy's sweater. Like the oh, walls my are good. Christmas. Are you serious? Yeah, you are, it's yeah, it's you are yeah. a beauty kid. <laughs> right, right. I'm I'm definitely on some FBI watch list, I'm sure. Sure. But, you know, Mark, <laughs> this is the thing I'll say, and I've said this a million times. I'm not a huge fan of fan of uh, horror films, but I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan of horror fans because and of course I get treated a little special because I, I was one of the guys, but I just find that horror fans such a, you know, they all want to see blood guts and gore, but they give you the shirt off your back in a second. You know, just the nicest people go. Oh yeah, and it's funny because you know I was friends with Ted White. Have you met Ted? Yes. He, he had actually turned down Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. He went in and he read for the part and he read the script and he's like, "I'm not going to do this shit. I'm the last living <laughs> stunt double for John Wayne. I'm not going to do this garbage with yeah. this killer." And yeah. so he passed on it. And his neighbor did the props for the film and said, "Hey, I." I heard you passed on this Friday the 13th. Are you crazy? He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you'll get double pay because they got to do all the makeup on you and all the tests and the molds and everything. And you can do other projects in the meantime, you'll get double pay. And so he went back and he accepted the job only because, you know, he'll be making a check doing stunt work and then still going for the molds and, and the yeah. makeup stuff with, uh, yeah. with Savini. I think it was Tom Savini. He ended up doing it, but he refused on-screen credit. There's no credit for Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Isn't that interesting? Really? Yeah, he had no interest. But I will tell you that since he's actually started doing conventions and he's met the fans and people line up because this is one of the first Jasons, his eyes have been opened. And he realizes that the fans are pretty amazing. They're diehard. I gotta tell you, Mark, I got more friends in the States than I do in Canada now. <laughs> you know, I was just in um Virginia two weeks ago and a guy I met at a really bad convention years ago, and he and I become best friends. And anyway, I flew in one day it went in a six-day window. I flew from Vancouver to Dallas to Norfolk, Virginia, then drove up to Maryland, went to the Baltimore Orioles game, then we trained in Washington, D.C., which was a huge thing for me. Then the next morning, I flew from BWI to Chicago, had a a ten-and-a-half-hour layover, and I told them, the girls at Air Canada, I got to get home sooner. So they rerouted me through Toronto, so I went to Ontario and then flew home. Wow. In a six-day period, yeah. But just had the greatest time, and um, it's funny you mentioned Ted White because you just triggered a memory. When I met Ted White, I can't remember where, when, and why. I just remember him saying to me, I just went up and introduced myself because I knew he was, I'd heard he was John Wayne's double. And, uh-huh. and he knew me 30 seconds, Mark. He says, you'll have to come out and see me in Colorado, Brad. I'll take you fishing. Yep, exactly. I thought, how That's... sweet is this guy? Oh, he he's salt of the earth. The guy's amazing. Yeah. D- did you meet his wife too? I didn't meet his wife. She does no. real estate. She's uh, She's a sweetheart too. He's an amazing, amazing guy. How long was the shoot for Halloween Resurrection? Uh, in my memory, we shot for, gosh, did we shoot for five weeks and then a week of reshoots? Because I, I remember calculating how much I made a week. I think we shot for five weeks and then a week of reshoots. And then, and plus- then we shot the ending in New York because 
the test audiences didn't like, I think we had two different endings and they didn't like either. And they wanted to go with the hokey cliche, you know, body bag open, his eyes pop open. Like, yeah. I mean, anyway, anyway, in the, in the morgue, uh, right? That's the only scene that isn't me. You know, and it's funny, Brad, the mask, when she opens up the body bag and his eyes opens, I think that mask is going up for auction the first week of November from the prop really? store. Yeah. They've got a Jason mask, two different Michael Myers masks, and I think two Freddie claws, the hand, the glove. They haven't put out the whole catalog yet, but that's coming up. In fact, the prop store, the head of the prop store auctions is coming on the podcast. They're going to schedule me for an interview before the auction. And so I'm going to talk to him about all this stuff horror related. That's going to be auction the first week of November. It's going to be a multi-million dollar auction, but the prop store seems to know how to do that now. It's amazing. Mark, they just, I don't know if you heard, but they just auctioned a couple months ago, uh, supposedly one of the masks I wore of the three that I wore. And they auctioned it in England, auctioned it off. That's, that would have been in the prop store. The prop store. Guess what it went for? 60,000. Jesus, you're good. Went for 50,000 English English pounds, sterling, whatever they, you know, okay. which in Canadian is like 83,000. So in American, it's probably around 60, 65. Yeah. Does that include the auction house fees? I have no idea, kid. I just know uh, that okay. a cod promised me a mask at my very first convention. I had no idea what I was getting into, you know, I because I, I never pursued it. Sure. And of course, I'll never get one out of them today, but that's okay. I, uh, I could use the financial help, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, Don Shanks, he had said when he walked off the set, he took his one of the masks that he wore. And I guess the people there on the set were like, hey, hey, the mask, the mask. And he never turned around. He kept going. And he has it. Really? On, he has it on the table. He had this restoration artist named Tom Spina, who's well known among the props and wardrobe people, fans. And he restored the mask. It's no longer flexible. It's rigid. But he oh. brought it back to its original condition shape. Really? Uh, and, really? And Don still got it. Uh, Don still got it. Because I met Don in 2000. He came to convention. Did you come to Florida in August? Mark, I can't remember. I've been there three times. Once with Kenny. We okay. got there late at night. One night we were being put up in somebody's house in a gated community. And as we were getting out of the red, <laughs> red car, Mark, I look and I see the sun. Please don't feed the alligators. Well, fuck, I, was <laughs> I, was a I said, Kenny's that inside a joke. He says, no, there'll be alligators. Right here. I was ready to climb on the hood of the car. I mean, oh yeah. Ah. They're right outside where I work. There's ponds all around it. And there's, there's six foot gators in those ponds. Jeepers. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. The reason I ask is there was a convention in Orlando in August and I was in Salt Lake city, but they had several of the Michael Myers, but of course it was, when I was out of town at the Phantasm Convention in Orlando. Aha. Uh -huh. And I was wondering if you had, had come to that. No, maybe a million years ago, but I can't remember the names of the shows. Okay, Mark, it, it no, was, but see, it wasn't just a couple months ago you weren't here. No. I wanted to ask you, so you bring your girlfriend to the set of Halloween Resurrection, and apparently Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> you tell tell me that story about, you know, you bring well, your girlfriend, and Jamie Lee Curtis really likes you. Uh, on this particular day, my girlfriend <laughs> needed to use my truck, so she came to work with me, and as I'm unloading my stunt bags, Jamie comes up and says, are y'all ready to shoot our scene today? I think we should do it like this. She grabs me, dips me, and lays a big kiss on me. And my girlfriend, who was mentally ill, and I mean that 
guys say that about the girl all the time, but this girl actually was. When I got home, you never told me you were going to be kissed by Jamie oh. Lee Curtis. And, I go, I, and the thing is, Donna Keegan, the stunt coordinator, Jamie's double, had told me Jamie will never shoot that scene the way it's written. But, uh, but uh, you know, Mark, <laughs> Jamie was very kind to me and my girlfriend. But she did that female thing where she kind of bonded with my girlfriend and let's talk boy talk and, you know, whatnot. When I was down in L.A. with Malaga Khan, Mustafa's son, for the mask, for the head cast, he mm-hmm. told me that uh, Jamie had, uh, Mark, if you can imagine a contract coming to 30 seconds with no dialogue, but that's what she owed them on screen. And she said, whatever you can shoot in a long weekend, I'll do. And she donated all her time and money to the terminally ill children ward of uh, LA's Children's Hospital, I guess it is. And that's what she gave all her convention money to. And so when we did her show, did her one convention, I went up to her at the end of the day and I said, listen, uh, here's, I gave her a little envelope. She said, what's this? I said, it's only 500 bucks Danny, but it's 10% of what I'm going to make this weekend. I just have so much respect for what you're doing. I'd like to give some money to your kids. And she clutched it to her chest like it was a trillion dollars, Mark, and started to well up with tears. Oh, and I guess cool. later on, according to my agent, Sean, she mentioned uh, this in because uh, I think I was the only guest that did, I'm assuming. But she mentioned me uh, what I had done in an interview she did with some magazine and whatnot. So I'm really looking forward to see her, be- seeing her again because she was so kind to us. She was only there for three and a half days, Mark. She bought everybody a crew gift. Oh, that's cool. It was just a little, uh, like a little uh, Leatherman. It had inscribed H2K1, which was what she wanted to call the movie, then uh, XOJLC. And, you know, Mark, it was one of my treasured, most prized possessions. And uh, if you ask me where that thing is today, it just slipped through the cracks, you know. Uh, Very upsetting. But anyway. Um, did you take anything from the set? Negative. Do you look back? Do you regret that? No, because I'm not a thief, Mark. Well, uh, I mean, no, I, I don't say. No, I like, no, no, they, no. They I, have I, the I, wardrobe I, sale. Okay, and... okay. I'll, tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the thing I most regret. Katie Sackoff, who I adore as a person, and I think she's a ridiculously talented actor. She went, I guess, to one of the coffee shops, I'm assuming Starbucks, and bought these travel mugs, coffee mugs, that had the, the coffee goes in. Mm-hmm. And then the exterior was a clear sleeve that they slide their advertising or the, the motif of the cup in. She took that paper out. She took Polaroid pictures of all of us and cut just our heads out and glued the heads of the uh, all the actors, including myself, on the cup and then put the plastic sleeve back on. And she made those for all of us. She gave that, gave one to me. And you know, Mark, I have said on a number of occasions to people, if I ever wake up and I have to jump out the window naked because the house is on fire, I will have three things in my possession. On my wrist, I'll have my Omega Seamaster. Under my arm, I will have my Muhammad Ali autograph. And in my other hand, I will have my Katie Sackhoff uh, resurrection travel mug. Oh. But when I uh, went and rented my house out years ago, I, I don't know. Somehow it got lost. I don't know uh. if my tenants actually took off with it. But mm. I treasured that thing. It was so special. Because she made it with her own hands. Right. And then, you know, years later, I saw her when she was on. We were on set one day on Battlestar Galactica. And we had a quick little chat. But I just think she's terrific. That's fantastic. I mean, it's it's such a cool story nothing lasts forever no that's right and and so unfortunately but you still have the memory of that cherished item yeah absolutely when you took the part did you have any idea that 20 years later you would still be Uh. getting interviewed and asked to go to conventions did you have any idea it was going to be this big 
Not a clue. They're interviewing me on set one day, and they said, Brad, have you been getting any autograph requests? I go, I actually, uh, I have through uh, Kenny. I, I'm sure I, like a moron, blurred out my email address. I says, but keep the keep those requests coming, folks. I plan to, plan to answer them all. And Mark, I had no idea what I was saying. No idea. There was an article I read somewhere that Brad Lurie's in for a great deal of fame, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what are you talking about? I'm just a guy in a mask. I had no idea, Mark. I had no idea. It's amazing. It's just like the professional wrestlers. The people that I've met that have worn the mask, whether it be the hockey mask, the, the William Shatner mask, the well, there's only one Freddy Krueger, but so many people that have been in horror movies. And I've met these guys. I've been lucky enough to have some time. I, I sat down in Los Angeles with Betsy Palmer in 2000 with her and her assistant. Oh, gosh, really? And yeah. for years, I have several letters from her. We had contact for several years. I brought chocolates to her when I saw her in New York. <laughs> at a convention and she wrote me a thank you letter on her stationery. i have just had the most amazing experience over the years with the people the actors the talent the people involved with these productions it's amazing that they scare you to death but behind the camera there are some of the most gracious Aren't wonderful they people yeah. you know it's funny you say that because you, you said something earlier about heels in wrestling it's been my experience that the actors that play bad guys, they always play the arsehole and the jerk on mm -hmm. screen, are the nicest people. Oh, uh, yeah. Life. Yeah. And I guess that's part of the challenge of their, as an actor, as an artist, to portray somebody completely different than their own persona. It always blows my mind. When I first saw Halloween Resurrection, I loved it. Really? I absolutely, oh, uh, yes, I love Mark, it. Mark, how old are you? I am 51. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay, Mark, I can tell you this, okay, as I go to the bathroom to go to the <laughs> Mark, when I did my first convention in 2003, whatever it was, because they do the um, anniversary conventions every five years in Pasadena, because they mm -hmm. shot the first Halloween in Pasadena. My first convention, I'm not kidding, the first 10 people that came up to me, they launched into a diatribe, how could you let Buster Rhymes kick your ass, you're Michael Myers, his hokey <laughs> martial arts, this, that, and I said, dude, I'm just a stuntman in a mask, and it was in the script. Anyway, before he kills you, when you throw him into that wall, and I watched that 20 minutes before our conversation today, I'm like, I don't know who that stunt double was for Buster Rhymes, but that had to hurt like fucking hell. Uh, that was a guy named <laughs> Bill. <laughs> Billy, uh, what the hell's his last name? He's a local African-Canadian guy here. And in my life... Mark, I've never seen a guy who was a better stunt double because in the dim light on set, from 10 feet away, you thought it was Busta. Wow. And it was Bill. And I can't believe I've gone blank on his last name. But anyway, and no, we, you know, we we did a poll. We didn't use the air. It was just guys jumping off a ladder on the, with him on the line. Mm -hmm. And he flew backwards, but he had all his pads on. You know, you were, I don't know if you know what an armadillo back pad is that the uh, motocross and the motorcycle guys wear. Okay, um, yeah. But it's a phenomenal uh, device. You can literally do home alones one after the other onto concrete. You won't get hurt. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I like that analogy. Oh, home yeah. That's what we call it. Home alones. Back. You got to <laughs> kick your feet in the air and crash on your back. They'll knock the wind out of you every time if you don't break a rib. Ted White had talked about this one stunt he had done on that Friday the 13th, and he was supposed to fall backwards down a flight of stairs. And it oh. was the one stunt that he was not real comfortable doing. Uh -huh. And he said that it's a real risky stunt. They did it. 
And he said those sons of bitches didn't even include it in the movie. And so he was mad about that. I'll tell you what, that's a very frustrating thing when you knock yourself out and it ends up on the cutting room floor. But that's film, man. I mean, and Ted knows that. So anyway. Do you and Ken ever debate who's the bigger badass, Jason or Michael? I mean, do you guys ever get together with for beers and say who's the bigger badass? Is it Michael or Jason? No, we don't really do the dick measuring thing, Mark. Um, <laughs> because uh, we've always fantasized about being involved in a Jason versus Michael, which of course was I, I found I found it interesting they did Jason versus Freddie because they were everyone was talking about pitting Jason versus Michael and how much fun that would be. But, oh, yeah, uh, we just got together actually a few days ago to go out and visit one of our mentors who's tr- struggling with his health and whatnot. But a guy who was instrumental in all of us becoming stunt people. He was actually Canada's very first stunt man. The first guy, the guys in Hollywood said, "There's a guy up in Vancouver that actually has an idea what he's doing." His name's Jacob Rupp. He's um, Canada's very first authentic stunt guy. Like I said, I owe Ken Kersinger my life in a sense. I won't let him pay for anything whenever we're together. I'm gonna have to come up to Vancouver and take you guys out to dinner, buddy. I- I would love it. I would just love to see you. I got a very comfortable couch, Mark, and you're welcome anytime. <laughs> and uh, well, Kenny and I live about eight minutes apart, so it's like nothing to see each other. That's fantastic. Well, we're going to take you to we're going to take you to the boathouse in Kitsilano and Kitsilano Beach. Just so you know, years ago, one of the Maxim or whatever these magazines are, Mark, they rated Kitsilano Beach as the third sexiest in North America. Ooh. and uh, it's a beautiful neighborhood with incredible view, and this restaurant. It's phenomenal, especially when the sun's going down. Anyway, kid, we're we'd love to have you. We'd love okay, to have you. Okay. I uh, one thing I do agree with Ken about is traveling because I heard you talk about Ken does not like to travel. He's got to get to the airport really, 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 really early. And oh, once he's, he's very on the ground, he's got to get all the way to the gate to know that he's there safely. And he yeah. doesn't fit in the seats because he's so big and yeah. the conventions. I heard it all and I'm like, yep. Well, you've yep, done your homework. Yep, I agree. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I agree That's with awesome. you. everything that you were saying. I was like, oh my God, I'm totally with Ken. I agree. It sucks. Air travel. Mark, sucks. have you have you interviewed Ken yet? Not yet. Well, I got you on the line here, just so you know. There actually are four horror film personalities here in Vancouver. Myself, Ken Kersinger. And then there's Lyndon Porco, a small little person who played the leprechaun in one of the leprechaun uh, sequels and also was a body double for Chucky in one of the child's play movies. And then there's also Quinn, who was in Trick or Treat. Quinn, I met him in Spookala. He's a young guy. Yeah, Yeah, he's very young. Sweetheart. Yeah, very nice guy. Very nice man. Very young. And he always travels with his dad, Michael. Okay, he might have been the handler there at the convention. Yeah, that's who that would have been. But that was that was a that was a great movie too. Never saw it. I don't watch horror. But anyway, <laughs> what's okay? We're we're gonna wrap this up here pretty quick. I just have a few more questions, if that's okay. No um, problem, Mark. Take your time. As far as the conventions, I've talked with several different actors that appear at different conventions, and they meet the fans. Have you ever had a weird or uncomfortable interaction at a convention? Mark, I really can't remember anything getting offside. I mean, Thank you got God. the odd, how would you describe, the guys that hang around your table and they just want to converse with you all day long. Sure. And it's, it's like a looping conversation. But, <laughs> yeah. but no, but I've never had, no, I've never had any issues with any of the fans because not all of them are, you know, I mean, 
you're talking about a contingent of the population and we're not all mentally stable, but no, I've never had an issue with anybody. That's great. I've yeah. heard of a few where people start to cross certain boundaries of what's appropriate and what's not. Yeah. I mean, I've heard those stories too, and uh, no one hits on me for some reason. Of course, I gained 80 pounds during the pandemic, so maybe that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just people, you know... Uh, one of the actresses from Friday the 13th had an issue for a while after that movie came out and actually had a stalker, which is... I very- was acquitted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I love no, I'm it. Kidding. I'm See, kidding. You, you and I could have worked so well together at the prison because we definitely have... Mark, a- no kidding. <laughs> we have that dark sense of humor. I love it. Exactly. For people that do want to meet you, do you have anything scheduled for 22 going into 23? You had mentioned Pasadena. I'm booked for the first weekend of March. I'm in Texas, and I'll tell you. It's in Bastrop, Texas. Cult Classic Con. Okay. Cult Classic Convention in Bastrop, Texas. Yep. I'm familiar with that show. uh, October 2023 is the next Halloween anniversary convention where I don't know if I should say this because I don't know if it's been announced yet. I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but I would rather meet you than Jamie Lee Curtis just because I don't know Jamie Lee Curtis. And talking to you and seeing everything that I have on YouTube, it's a lot more fun. It's like when I met Ted White and some of these other people that have played these parts, I can go meet some actor that's in current films right now that's an a-list and everything i have no interest i want to meet people that i don't know you're a true horror fan Mark. yes hilarious yeah no it's great it's so much fun i hear you kid well uh like i said trade uh, info and um we'll we'll meet at some point brother absolutely if you got any connections for conventions down in florida tell them i'm dying Um, to come back my mind is already working on that. Do you have a website to buy autographs? Mark, you know what? I do not. I've got another buddy that's uh, wanted to set that up. The best thing I can say to you right now mm-hmm. is to go through the Stunts Canada website, www.stuntscanada.com. Okay. And we have an office manager there. All I ask is the standard autograph fee is $40 American. Okay. And I ask for a self-addressed stamped envelope. Okay. I'll sign your item. I'll send you a still, whatever works for the person. But that's the standard fee. As long as they send me a self-addressed stamped envelope, it's it'll be back within days. I know a lot of the people that do these sort of uh, autographs. We need to get you with a website so we can see the different okay. shots that you okay. offer. Okay, man. I got to get on that then. Because you're yeah. the first person to put that suggestion out there. But, you know, with the pandemic, there was a lot of online sales. Because people thought there were going to be conventions anymore. You know, who knows mm-hmm. what's going to happen. But I'm going to get on that, Mark. I'll get back to you about that. But we'll be in touch. To finish up, I know that uh, horror is not your bag, baby. What is the one movie that you never get tired of watching besides Halloween Resurrection? Mark? Comedy, um, drama, I have, whatever. I have three films that are my favorite. Three films of all time. Although I have dozens of films that are my favorite. I, when people go, what are your three favorite? But I don't watch them uh, necessarily over and over. But I'll tell you. Even more than Bruce Lee's films, the movie I have seen more times than any other, <laughs> other film is Alex Cox's Repo Man. Emilio Estevez yep. and Harry Dean Stanton. And back in 91 <laughs> or two, I was standing on a corner one Saturday afternoon in Vancouver, beautiful sunny day, you know, 30, 40 people at each corner. And I'm standing with my girlfriend. I look across the street and I go, holy crap, does that guy look like Harry Dean Stanton? And I looked a little longer and went, 
holy crap, that is Harry Dean Stanton. Wow. So as light turned green, we started walking towards him. As we crossed, I went, hi, Harry, and just waved to him and then just kept walking. I didn't look back, but my girlfriend did. She said, Harry turned and waved and he kind of scratched his head like, who the heck is that guy? Because, of course, he's not used to people recognizing him. He's sure. one of those great American heroes, one of those great American character actors that nobody knows his name. And we actually followed him. We came back and he'd gone to a bookstore. But, of course, being Canadian, I just got to think about no, I didn't want to bother him. But you know what? I think about it now. I should have gone up and said, Mr. Staten, I just want to say hi real quick. I'm your biggest fan. I've seen Repo Man more times than any movie. As far as one-liners go, it's the greatest film ever made. <laughs> and I, I didn't, but I, you know, now he's gone. But at least I had that little moment with him. Like, my, like well, Eddie said, you had a moment with him. You know, I passed James Caan in the airport in yeah. Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. I said to him as I passed him, I said, how you doing, Mr. Khan? I didn't want to stop him, and I didn't want to bother him. He's doing his business. He's got things to do, and I'm not going to bother somebody. Right. And I saw an interview on YouTube as I was getting ready to do an episode about misery. And he had talked about he does not understand celebrities that get so mad at people saying hello or like, I love your films and giving admiration because you work your whole life to get to that level. And then you complain when people come and say hello and you've reached that level. And so wow. he said he always appreciates when people pay him a compliment or say hello or make reference to the leg breaking scene in misery. And I thought Martin, that was so cool. Is he gone? He is. He died just a few months ago. He, he did. Is. Okay. No, I hear what you're saying. I uh, One of the hair girls here in Vancouver um, worked with Sophia Loren. Sophia liked her so much, she, she, she had this girl be her girl in the next movie of Europe or whatever. But she told me a story of Sophia Loren was in a restaurant with one of the guys back in the day, one of the big, 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 big names. Uh -huh. And some fan came up and asked the guy for an autograph. He says, well, I'm busy right now. I have a dinner kind of thing. And so he kind of blew the fan off, politely enough, whatnot. But Sophia just dressed him upside down the other. How can you say no to a fan that's politely oh. asking for an autograph? They're the people that a lot foreign us the mansions. With and she never dated the guy again. That is amazing. I thought that was so cool, you know. That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a time and a place. If somebody's having dinner, they're a celebrity. They're with their family. I would never approach them. It's just disrespectful <laughs> to that person. I could never do it. I would love to, as they're walking out, say, hey, you know, I love your work. You do awesome. Or something, just a nice gesture. But to, oh, to walk are, up I, while they're, <laughs> I could never do it. But I read a story somewhere years ago that Paul Newman, Stop signing autographs when he was approached while he was in a <laughs> he was in a men's room at a urinal. The guy oh, going, I get an autograph. God, like, oh, I'm pissing right now. You know, but even there, like you say, say no to that guy, but don't say no to everybody just because some knucklehead. But anyway, yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah. The last thing I got to ask you is, all right, if you had to do it all over again, would you do it differently, or what would you do differently? In what respect, my career or Halloween or However you want to take that question. Okay. If I could do it over, I would have, I would have savored my moments with friends and my days on set because we live our lives assuming it's never, the tap's never going to run out, but it does one day, you know, and um, I was just 16 years old when I heard they were shooting a movie in Fort Langley, just outside of where I lived. And I ran down there, Mark, it was this horrible monster movie directed by John Frankenheimer with Talia Shire and Robert Foxworthy. I sat there for like six hours, just mesmerized 
because I was so excited about being on a movie set. When I went to leave, they said, is that your car over there? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, uh, we think that the back half of your car, the trunk and the bumper might be in this shot. So we prefer you not move it. And I was over the moon for a month thinking <laughs> my back side of my car. But that's how crazy I <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. You know, story. I, I, yeah, that's how big a movie fan I was. And I always will be. I, uh, but now that it's kind of winding down, I get very melancholy and, and, and sentimental about it, Mark. But no, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I, I, I don't know if I, if I could have overcome my uh, lack of confidence. I don't want to say that I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I sometimes wonder, Mark, in answer to your question, if I, I sometimes wonder if I had invested the time and money that I put in training myself to be a stunt guy if i had done that training myself to be an actor would i have been a working actor and not that i would prefer one over the other but i've never understood i mean i love my stunt siblings but mark i don't i don't understand the person that is supposed to be in the guy riding the horse who kisses the girl at the end of the ride they want to be the person that falls off the horse it doesn't make any sense to me. They're going to break your goddamn neck. This is your idea of fun. Was it mine? You know. Uh, uh, so I got to say, that's the only thing that I would have done different. I, I wish I'd have pursued my acting, but I just didn't have belief in myself. And my nepotism was in the stunt world, and I'm glad I went that way because I've got lifelong friends and I've got a lifelong career, and I'm very blessed. That's amazing. You have definitely impacted so many lives and you probably don't realize it. As you see at conventions, when people come up to you and say, you know, we love you as Michael Myers. We love the way that you interpreted his walk, the, his look. And I know that people have mentioned to you, even Dick Warlock had said to you about your dead. State. Wow. You did your homework, Mark. Yes, because, I have. Because, to. <laughs> I'll tell you, like nobody I've ever been interviewed by because Dick Warlock said in the in print like in the media yeah that in his opinion and uh, i agree and he has said it to me and i says to myself well you can't be better than nick castle because nick castle was you know but i studied nick castle i studied both i studied all the michael myers i came back to the first two and i'm very good friends with dick warlock i call him uncle dick he's just my <laughs> best buddy but i just thought nick castle's methodical slow gait was just so creepy but dick being the omniscient movie observer, he said, Brad, it's what you did with your eyes. He said, what did you do? And I, I said, I can't believe you noticed that, Dick. I said, but I, I wanted his eyes to look like a shark's eyes. You know, that dead soul is, there's nothing mm -hmm. behind them. Just a killing machine. So whenever we had a close-up or even a medium shot, I would purposely cross my eyes ever so slightly to kind of take the focus out of them. And Dick picked up on that, which to me is amazing. I had another kid, this other, <laughs> this one fan, Mark. He says, you're the first Michael Myers with blue eyes. And I was like, who the fuck is looking at Michael Myers' eyes? <laughs> right, right, right. You're looking at his eyes. You're not watching the movie, kid. I can tell you, having worked in a prison for 20 years, I've worked death row. I've worked with the mentally ill. I've worked with people that have killed babies, uh, old women. Jeez. It doesn't matter. And there comes a time in 20 years where you stare a person in the face and they look at you. And if there wasn't a door there, you'd be dead. And Brad, you definitely mastered that stare. Isn't that a nice compliment? Thank you for that. Thank you for that. You scared <laughs> the shit out of me. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed well, you know, it. It's funny, Mark, because the last day on resurrection, Rick Rosenthal, the director had pieced together the first 10, 15 minute trailer. 
we're watching it. They put the lunchtime, they hit the lights, and they had this big giant screen. And I'm sitting there with my girlfriend, the crazy one, who was holding my hand. And we're watching this. <laughs> and he's walking down the hall, and she started squeezing me tighter and tighter and tighter. I started getting scared and nervous. I went, because I've always been afraid of Michael Myers. I said, wait a second, what am I doing? That's not Michael Myers. <laughs> Both of them. Well, so- I just had to laugh. So your acting skills must be pretty exceptional if you're able to pull it off and even fool yourself. That's amazing. Well, that's that's the that's thing. amazing. You know, there you go. Thank you so much, Brad, for coming on the podcast today. It's been so interesting to talk about your portrayal of Michael Myers and about your absolutely amazing career. Thank you, Brad. Mark, thank you. And uh, I'm available to you at any time, young fella. Thank you very much, Brad. And tonight, I'm going to close out like I close out every week by telling you to be good, and if you can't be good, to be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it. Good night, everybody. Good night.